0: Hello, everyone. I'm Nathan, and like Yogg-Satanth, I am the gate and the key to the gate. Except that instead of bringing the return of the Old Ones and the crushing of humanity like the irrelevant insects we are, I decide whether or not your fiction appears on the Dravelcast. I've been slush-wrangling for Norm since... Holy crap, what year is it? It's 2015. God, I'm old. This is depressing. Why did we bring this up? A while. I have been slushing for... a while. Anyway. Point is, this isn't really a change. My filthy paws have been all over every slush story we run for years. I just get to send out the actual contracts now, instead of annoying the living hell out of Norm with constant pings and inquiries from authors. I don't get a jet or anything, as far as I know. Norm, can we get a jet? Or, like, an ermine robe? Or, like, a scepter? I should get a scepter. I should get something. Do you know what sort of stuff shows up in the raw slush for a that puts strange stories right in the tagline? Yeah, whatever you're imagining, double the number of appendages, and add three more types of bodily fluid, and it's still probably one of the less upsetting things I've involuntarily imagined while looking for good stories for y'all. So, remember everyone, that's submissions at drabblecast.org. We take stories up to 4,000 words. We like them weird and dark and funny and sad, preferably all at once. Please no more serial killers. And your special personal time stories should uh, probably be kept to yourself. Or at least erotic fanfic forms. See you on the slush pile.
1: Hello everyone, Happy New Year, and welcome to The Travelcast, Episode 347. The Travelcast is a weekly audio fiction magazine that brings strange stories by strange authors to strange listeners, such as yourself. I'm your host, Norm Sherman. Great to bring in the new year there with Nathan. Hope you aren't freaking out, really you shouldn't be. Slippery when wet signs should be on goddamn everything out there when you think about it. Concern yourself with that for the time being. Nathan's one of those editors that authors love. He's the type of editor who can take the adult diaper rolling around by his feet in a Greyhound bus and turn it into a comfortable, elegant neck pillow. He's the kind of editor who can take two or three tiny farts and hide them behind the claps of an otherwise great song. He can make your stories look better, the way hairstylists somehow make the strands of dead cells growing from your skull more attractive to your mate. He can turn that glass eye of yours from something creepy and off-putting into something creepy and totally badass, in a way you'd never even realize. Real. Eyes. Eh? His milkshakes bring just limitless boys to the yard. Boys, girls, whatever, and that's all I care about. That's all I've ever cared about, folks. Get them in the yard. That's all I've ever said. And besides, if I can do it, anyone can. Larry King's a possum, for God's sakes, and look what he's accomplished. My weird, homeless Uncle Chris yells at cars all day from the side of the road, and he gets to be his own boss. Think what Nathan could do for the Drabblecast. You ever flush someone else's urinal for them in the bathroom? Of course you haven't. Chivalry's all but goddamn dead these days. But Nathan's the type of guy who still follows the old ways. He gets back to authors on time. He does it in a personalized and constructive way. He goes above and beyond his own personal urination space to save you the time and trouble, while looking you straight in the eye and inviting you onto his lawn. Because the milkshakes there, young man, are second to none. And here's what Nathan didn't tell you in his intro. Nathan loves it. He loves every second he gets to read your stories, folks. The way Larry King loved gnawing his way through carrion on the side of the road before doctors prescribed him CNN. Nathan's a sick, sick person who needs our help, folks. Will you help, Nathan? Will you send him your work in 2015? Whatever you're imagining, remember three times the appendages, three times the bodily fluid, special personal time stories. Make them special, folks. Make them personal. That's all I've ever cared about. Get them in the yard. This week, we bring you a delightful story by Laura Pearlman called Why I Hate Zombie Unicorns. Laura Pearlman lives in California with two cats and no unicorns. She has a blog called Unlikely Explanations and a Tumblr devoted to things her cats have dropped in their water bowl. She should probably get out more. This story was originally published in Shimmer, Issue 20. The story is read to you by Renee Chambliss. Author and voiceover professional Renee Chambliss got her start in audiobook narration in 2009 when she began podcasting her own writing. Soon after, other writers and audio fiction producers began to ask her to record for them, and that led to her professional audiobook narration career. She absolutely loves transforming the written word into audio and feels privileged to be able to spend so much of her time telling stories. Find a link to Renee in our show notes on our website, and hire her yourself. So, without further ado, we bring you Why I Hate Zombie Unicorns by Laura Perlman.
2: The good news is zombie unicorns almost never bite. The bad news is even a tiny scratch from a zombie unicorn horn will turn you into a zombie. Mom discovered that by accident. Mom was really smart. She was the first scientist to figure out that when the unicorns first showed up, some of them were already zombies and some of those got bitten by lions or wolves or whatever. And that's how it all started. She used to let me watch her work in the lab. I just had to stay out of everyone's way and not touch anything. She got me a lab coat, and we dyed it pink. I had my own notebook, too, and I'd write down everything I saw her do, and then she'd quiz me about it over dinner. Anyway, Mom was preparing some samples. She had two unicorn horns. One was pure white and shiny and smooth. The other was gray and drab and had jagged edges. She let me write labels for two test tubes. Normal unicorn horn and zombie unicorn horn. Then she put on a pair of bright purple latex gloves and winked at me. Her gloves and my lab coat were the only colorful things in the lab. Everything else was white, brown, or gray. She put a clean drill bit into her drill, then set the white horn on top of a sheet of paper and started drilling into it. Powdery stuff fell out. It looked like fairy dust. When a little pile had collected on the paper, she poured the unicorn dust into the normal unicorn horn test tube, put on the stopper, and threw away the paper. Then she started on the other one. But just then, one of the monkeys shrieked. Mom got startled and cut her finger on one of the edges of the zombie horn. It was just a tiny cut, the kind you cover with one of those band-aids that's a circle instead of a rectangle, and then it just falls off the next day and you forget there was even a cut there at all. But this time, when she took off her gloves, her hand was already turning gray. I wear my pink lab coat everywhere now. Everyone calls me Science Barbie, but I don't care. It reminds me of mom. After mom's accident, I started spending most of my time with the older kids. Jason is 15, and Jill and Kyle are 16. I thought they wouldn't want me tagging along, but Kyle said it was only because I was the only 12-year-old with enough guts to sneak outside. The others went along with it because everyone always goes along with what Kyle says. It doesn't really take a lot of guts to go outside. The fence keeps out the human zombies and the big zombie animals. So all we get are little ones, like rabbits and mice. And the traps get most of those. I mean, it's not completely safe. They had to shoot Mrs. Taylor last summer. She was already a zombie when they found her, so they couldn't tell exactly what happened, but they think she was sitting under a tree reading a book and got bitten by a zombie mouse. She was always doing stupid stuff like that. Everyone knows you don't sit on the ground. And then Mrs. Johnson shot Mr. Johnson in their room by mistake one night because she thought he was a zombie, but it turned out he was just shuffling around because he was drunk. And it's not like staying inside kept Mom safe. Sometimes I think Kyle is more afraid than I am. He says we're all going to starve to death because zombie bees can't fly, and that means they can't pollinate, so all the food crops will die. I got really scared the first time I heard him say it. But that night I had a dream, and mom was in it, and she was alive and normal and human, and she hugged me and laughed and said, have you ever seen a zombie bee? And then I laughed, and we held hands and started singing. Have you ever seen a zombie bee, or a zombie fly or flee? Have you ever seen a zombie bee? You haven't, cause there's none to see. There were more verses, but that's all I could remember when I woke up. Anyway, I told Kyle there was nothing to worry about. Bugs don't turn into zombies. But he wouldn't listen, and he kept saying we're going to starve. So I said, hey, one thing we'll never run out of is zombie meat. And he said, you can't eat zombie meat because that's just like biting a zombie. And I felt really stupid. So I said, yeah, if you eat raw zombie meat, but maybe not if you cook it. I didn't mean we should actually do it. I wished I hadn't said it, but it was too late to take it back. Kyle said we should cook some zombie meat and feed it to one of the dogs. I didn't want to do something that mean, but none of the others said anything. And sometimes it's just easier to go along with what Kyle says. Jason and I went to the kennels to get a dog. We chose Mrs. Taylor's old dog. I thought her name was Lady, but Jason thought it was Sadie, so I'm not sure. Anyway, Lady or Sadie or whatever her name was, hadn't had any human attention since Mrs. Taylor died. She was really happy to come with us. I wanted to forget all about the experiment and spend the afternoon playing with the dog, but I knew that wasn't going to happen. When we got back, Kyle and Jill were roasting a zombie rabbit over a fire. We didn't know how long to cook it. Zombies are all gray inside, so you can't judge by the color. Maybe you can judge by the smell. Jill said that when they caught the rabbit, it had that fresh zombie smell they get right after they turn, sort of like mushrooms and rotting meat. By the time I got there, it smelled like an older zombie, less like mushrooms and more like rotten meat with some sour milk and dust mixed in. It also smelled like burning hair, but I think that's just because its hair was burning. Half an hour later, the burnt hair smell was gone, and the zombie smell was stronger. It smelled like the oldest zombies, the ones that turned three years ago. And the smell kept getting worse. After an hour, we all wanted to puke. That's when we decided it was done. The dog wouldn't eat it. And I said, well, I guess this experiment didn't work. And Kyle said, no, we just need to keep her chained up until she's hungry enough. It took three days. She didn't turn into a zombie, but she did throw up a lot. And I said, okay, eating cooked zombie meat won't turn you into a zombie, but it won't keep you from starving either. And Kyle said, not so fast. The meat was three days old, so maybe it went bad. So we kept the dog chained up another day and cooked another zombie rabbit and made her eat that, and it was the same as before. She didn't turn into a zombie, but she did throw up, a lot. But at least then we let her go. I felt bad about what we did to the dog. I started spending more time alone, reading books. Not even reading most of the time. I found some art books and just flipped through them, looking at the pictures, One of the books was called Masterpieces of Tapestry, 1400 to 1600. This was the most boring of all the books, because the tapestries were all super old and faded. I was about to put it down when I saw a picture of one with a unicorn in it, and then another picture with the unicorn being killed, and then one with the unicorn alive again, a zombie unicorn. But that didn't make sense. I remember when the unicorns first showed up. I was nine. I ran outside and showed Kyle the book and said, look, zombie unicorns were here a long time ago and then they left, so maybe they'll leave again. He said it was just a story. And I said, how could there be a story about unicorns 500 years before anyone ever saw one? And even he had to agree it might be true. And then everyone just got really excited and Jason came up with the idea that maybe if we killed all the zombie unicorns, that would cure the zombie disease. I wasn't sure how that would work, but it seemed like a good idea anyway. We decided to kill as many zombie unicorns as we could, but first we had to catch them. The tapestry book said they'd come up to a virgin, so I said Jill and I could try to lure them in, but Jill just laughed and said I was on my own. So I sat in a chair near the edge of the fence while the others watched and waited, ready to shoot any zombie unicorns that came close enough. But all I got were regular unicorns, not the zombie kind. After a few days of this, we were all getting kind of cranky, and everyone started yelling at me, and I said it wasn't my fault. If they wanted a zombie unicorn, maybe they needed a zombie virgin. And everyone stopped yelling and just looked at me. I wish I hadn't said it, but it's too late to take it back.
1: And that was our story, folks. Hope you enjoyed. Let's close things out this week with our 100 character story winner by Pawn Spider called A Full House. Here goes. I know they're watching, watching, expectant in the walls and ceiling. I begin my performance to rapturous applause. That's 100 characters, not counting spaces. We have a weekly contest that we run through our forums at forums.drapplecast.org, and you can participate. Try writing a story. Submit it there on our forums. You might be next week's winner. Follow the Drabblecast on Twitter if you have it, at the Drapalcast. All right, folks, that's our show this week. Remember, The Dravelcast is produced with a Creative Commons attribution, non-commercial, no derivatives license, which means don't change it, don't sell it, but feel free to share it all you like. Write us a review on iTunes if you enjoyed our show. Blog about us, tell a friend, spread the weird. Special thanks to our episode artist this week, David Flett. David's a practicing architect in Toronto, Ontario. Whenever he's not working, he likes to find time to draw all sorts of things, including but not limited to zombies, birds, superheroes, and technicolor chimpanzees. You can find more examples of his personal work at a sketch blog, www.weird-birds.blogspot.com. Our program this week is brought to you by Chief Editor Nathan Lee, our art director, Bo Kyer, with additional help from Nikki Drayden, Tom Baker, David Carvin, and David Steffen. We'll see you next week, weirdos. Until then, this is Norm Sherman reminding you the good news is zombie unicorns hardly ever bite.